Thanks to that piece of shit, Lieutenant, that's always uh, on his podcast. Bash us. Him. <laughs> All right, everybody. Eric Dim, NYPD, most complaint cop, 265 Police Live Series, and along with me is John McCary, the co-host and the founder to the podcast. How you doing, my brother? First of all, before we go into this, I think it's a great topic. We're going to talk about indemnification for cops and along with other things that correlate to it. But first, John, tell me, what is your perspective of indemnification? Indemnification? Um... Let's just say you're working for the NYPD. You're working for the NYPD, you're working on behalf of the NYPD. They indemnify you in the course of your duties. You respond to a 911 call, you affect an arrest, you save somebody during an EMS call, you try to help someone on, on an EMS call, something like that. And a lawsuit arises because of that. The, the New York City, because of qualified immunity, should indemnify you should any legal action be taken against you and by indemnification it means that they will provide legal coverage they will provide a team of lawyers they will fight the case on your behalf and should any award be granted to the people that that are that are suing you it will be come out of the city funds as you are acting as an agent of the, of New York City for this or the and organizations could it be the same thing for security guards or whatever else? You know, it's interesting. I think there's a huge mirage when it comes to lawsuits, especially the word uh, alleged or misconduct when it comes to the police department and cops themselves. There was an article. I don't know. John, did you say there was an article the other day in the paper about the amount in 2023 that the police department has already paid out for lawsuits? And what it does is it gives the appearance that that cops are acting out in misconduct and that's that's quite a farce when it comes to this but we're, we're going to talk about that later but what i want to say is in labor's terms and just to keep it very simple it's very it's very important because many people don't actually understand indemnification that's okay but it's understand that we try to clarify it just in, in simple terms what it means to be indemnified is that when you work on behalf of an agency you are an agent of that organization. And because you're acting on behalf of that organization, that you will be indemnified, which means protected from civil liability and actually having to use your own funds and be hurt financially for acting on behalf of that organization. Yeah, so uh, city council, I believe it was two years ago that they actually voted to end qualified immunity in New York City. Um, they're actually not able to do that. So they voted. It was like it was a vote. It passed. City Council hates the police. Um, the people that live in New York, your family. I don't know why they keep voting for these far left Marxists. They do not like the police. They voted to end qualified immunity. However, you still do have it. But as a lawsuit arises, right, what do you do? You have to fill out paperwork, send it to Corporation Council. And Corporation Council is now looking at your 50A, looking at your history and picking and choosing whether you will be indemnified. And at the same time, New York City's paying out all these lawsuits and they're spending money all over the place. What we're seeing, what they're doing with New York City police officers, when New York City police officers are being sued, they're choosing not to indemnify them. You know, I, I find this extremely problematic. You know, I've actually, I've actually been personally affected by this as well. And I've talked about it on an earlier podcast, but I myself received a substantiated civilian complaint, you know, amongst many. But this one in particular, along after the case, I received a lawsuit and a summons for that particular CCRB. And when it came to that CCRB, because it was substantiated, the NYPD did not indemnify me. So I was not protected. Fortunately, there was a settlement. It was a nominal amount, but I, I was then demanded to pay $3,000 out of my own pocket for doing my job. And what I find extremely problematic about that is that it was substantiated by the Civilian Complaint Review Board, 
but no wrongdoing from the police department. So I'm working for the police department, not for CCRB. So it's, C it's CCRB, which is an independent agency, their perspective. That's what I find problematic. The NYPD did not find any wrongdoing, and yet I was not protected. What is your perspective of that, John? I mean, it should lead everybody to question if they do have qualified immunity, if what's going to happen, should anything arise out of a 911 call, you know, the majority of calls that we're seeing, the majority of times cops are not being indemnified. It's because of enforcement action. But I do think that could bleed over into other things as well. I think that, and that's what we're seeing. We're starting to see a trend where people are responding to 911 calls or actively engaged in a pickup arrest situation or whatever it may be, you're acting as, as uh, on behalf of, of, of New York city and you're going out there and now boom, you get a, you get a, you get a lawsuit because you're doing your job like Eric did. And you are going to be financially liable. New York city's putting the onus on you. New York city is not saying, John McCarty did that as a member of the New York City Police Department. They're saying John McCarty did it. Go get your own lawyer. We're not indemnifying you. Um, I I don't blame the unions per se for this, but I don't believe that they're telling the members exactly what's going on, and I don't believe that they're fighting for you when the city decides not to indemnify you, which I believe is part of their obligation as as representatives of of, of you. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the problem also is that when it comes to qualified immunity and indemnification, so it's important people understand the difference, right? So indemnification means that you're actually protected by the agency you work for. What qualified immunity is and why it's important, and it's important, this is something that's being discussed nationwide right now, qualified immunity is a defense to protect you in civil liability, and the defense is that you acted in the scope of your employment. Now, what's important to understand is, yes, I don't blame the unions, but the unions have to take an active role in actually fighting this because there is a correlation between qualified immunity and public safety. Because if you do not have a defense, then that's going to handicap and disable you from doing your job, which we're seeing right now. Because they're picking and choosing who gets indemnification and qualified immunity based on optics. And I can correlate that to myself. Several years ago, when I was working in the confines of the South Bronx, there was a call for assistance. It was a 1013. This is when shit hits the fan. Everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about. We responded to a housing development. It was a huge brawl, actively fighting with the cops. I was approached by a perpetrator that we knew that was engaged in several shootings. A perpetrator of shootings, a victim of shootings, got into a fighting stance with me. I gave him a front kick to the chest, took him down, put him in handcuffs. Eventually, there was civil liability and action taken against me. And just based on the video, I was told I would not be indemnified. Fortunately, well, not fortunately, unfortunately, this particular perpetrator then shot and killed two people about a year and a half later, and then I was indemnified. That's problematic. And then I think the, the, the more recent example that we have of that, too, is a police officer, Juan Perez. I shared his uh, I shared his uh, GoFundMe page where he created him and his lawyer created for his legal defense. Um, he chose he could have got legal he could have got legal representation through the PBA, but he was not happy with the representation, so he decided to go out on his own. So he's paying for it on his own. The city immediately told him they wouldn't indemnify him. So he asked if I could share his GoFundMe page. I did. GoFundMe pulled it down. They obviously don't like police. They don't believe that you should have the right to defend yourself. So uh, big shout out to Fund the First. Fund the First contacted me, told me to tell him to put, put him and his lawyer to put uh, their uh, their fundraiser up for his legal defense on their site. They won't take it down, which they did. Um, so to all of you guys that donated, we appreciate it. Juan appreciates it. Um, but Juan Perez responded to a 911 call of an emotionally disturbed man he turned his back while the gentleman was sitting down. He turned his back on the male. The male attacked him, grabbed him from behind. Juan took the male to the ground, was able to take the male to the ground by deploying strikes. 
he deploys in a video that we see just a snippet of it. He deploys six strikes on the sixth one. The defendant's knocked out. Um, he stops. He immediately goes over. Ambulance was already requested. He immediately goes over again, requests a rush on the bus. Juan was indicted by uh, Alvin Bragg, and he was told by New York City, uh, New York City, that he would not be indemnified. Well, here you go. Another problem right here. So just an allegation in itself. There was no wrongdoing yet determined by the police department. Why? Because when there's a, an action taken against a police officer, it's very under, the cops that are working right now have to understand this, and they should. And if they don't, please listen to this, and the families as well. So if a police officer is charged with a crime in the performance of his duty, the police department cannot take any action against until that case is then done. You can be suspended and modified, but to actually receive actual discipline, it will not be done until the case is over. So Juan is in his early retirement, so it hasn't come to that point. But in Juan's case, just the allegation in itself, he was not indemnified, and he's left with protecting himself. So right now, this is the dangerous part of being a cop. You, right now, just wearing that uniform, your freedom is at stake, your life is at stake, and your financial freedom is at stake as well. So Juan... John and I have been in contact with him constantly. We have been part of his support system, which he needs. The union really has turned their back on him. He needs indemnification. He needs help. This is quite costly, and it's also a burden in his life. And other cops see this as well. And that affects public safety. Again, this this call was Juan got indicted two years after this 911 call. He never received a CCRB from it. He never received a department investigation from it. He wasn't in trouble at all about this job. Nothing went wrong. The gentleman was immediately brought to the hospital, treated, and released. Um, minor, I think he, I don't even think he had scrapes. Nothing. He, I don't know. I don't even know that he what the injury was if there was they treated and released him there was no injury few years later i believe the gentleman was out of the country he commits suicide after he commits suicide the tape emerges of that night and the family's now suing juan saying well they're suing the nypd in new york city saying oh my son killed himself because of that incident i mean it's it's a complete far stretch it's a complete it's you know uh, we're not diminishing the fact that their, their son killed themselves, but to say that Juan's responsible for that because he attacked the cop and Juan defended himself is, is just that's just ridiculous. And New York City said, yeah, we're not indemnifying you. What was the reason? We don't know. Did the union tell him? No. Was it that he has he has a past CCRB history? And, and if so, what does that mean? That because you did your job and you received civilian complaints, the city will decide not to indemnify you. What does that mean? Why are you still on the street then? Absolutely. I think that's a fantastic point that you just made. You're still conducting your job on the street. I actually think, and I'm going to make this statement, it's probably a bold statement. I think that to not be indemnified, which means to not be protected by civil liability, would have to be in extreme cases. Doing police work is extremely great. It's extremely subjective. And I think that in order to maintain public safety and order, the cops have to be protected, and only then, in extreme cases, cannot be indemnified. Where let, let me give a fictitious scenario. Some rhetorically speaking, a cop sees someone that he has a personal issue with, just walks up and punches this person. He's in uniform. He's that's out of the scope of his employment. In a case like that, the cop should not be indemnified. God willing, we'd get that bad apple out anyway because we police their own. But Juan Perez himself, Juan, I hope you listen to this. We got you back and we support you because you represent the cops that are out there, the, the 15,000 that are left, unlike the 30,000 they tell you that are left. But you're out there doing your job. Juan did not request to go to a 911 call. New York City called upon Juan to protect New York City. A 911 call came and he responded and he did what he was paid and trained to do. He was attacked by an adversary, emotionally disturbed, yes. But still, he was attacked, and he took this person down and eventually put him in handcuffs. He did his job to protect himself, to his partner that was there that day, and the city. And when I say you should be indemnified unless an extreme case, there could be administrative errors in that particular arrest or any arrest. There could be some errors, but that should not 
hold you back from indemnification. Administrative errors are far different from you committing a crime and not doing your job. I agree 1,000%. If you're going to sit there, send someone to a 911 job and be like, oh, no, you have the right to defend yourself. And by the way, you were all trained to punch people in the face, right? That you were trained to deploy closed strikes to the face, to the, to the, to the body, to the arms, to whatever, wherever you could to gain compliance, right? Minimal amount of necessary force. Unfortunately, we're not in, in a ring, right? When you when we watch combat sports, you watch boxing, you watch jujitsu, you watch UFC, you watch any kickboxing, whatever it is, there's a referee there. Why? Because your adrenaline's flowing, your cortisol levels through the roof. You don't know what's going on. Moments feel like eternity and they're a very short time. You don't know if you threw three punches or seven punches or whatever it is. You need a referee in order to tell you that. There is no referee out in the street. Hopefully, you or your partner have the wherewithal to understand when situations, as they as they turn, because situations are so fluid, when to ease up or be more aggressive. And that's something that's never been mastered in all of humanity. But here, we're sending cops out to go, to go into these extreme, extreme situations like Juan was. He's attacked. He has a firearm on his hip. He's, get, he's being put in a headlock, a chokehold. Is being put in a chokehold, and he th- he deploys strikes to to stop the oncoming threat, and and he he su- brings that to a successful conclusion without the male being injured, and now he's left to hold the bag on that. So yes, an extreme situation. One by all means should have been indemnified, and then he probably wouldn't be worried about his legal defense and seeking outward if he felt he had the support of New York City and the NYPD. And his union, then he probably wouldn't have went out. But we don't, we don't feel that support. Juan doesn't feel that support. You know that the poor guy was at was at his court cases, and nobody even showed up. No, that's another problem. It's extremely problematic. A union is supposed to fight. It's supposed to be a brotherhood. And you know, at best, I say sometimes that the unions of the NYPD are a modified fraternal organization. But now that you just said that, you're making me think different. It's not even that because a fraternal organization is supposed to be a brotherhood. And if anything, if they're not financially assisting him, which they should, they should be there in support because emotionally, Juan and any other cop in his position needs emotional support more than anything. I think even more than your own financial freedom because money comes and goes. But your emotional support is something you remember forever. Now, I, I also want to go back and just tell you, John, I think that you that was extremely fantastic. I think your perspective was 1,000% accurate. And I correlate, I correlate it to this. So anybody that's watching this that's a, a, a jiu-jitsu fan or, or martial arts, Hicks and Gracie, which is one of the most famous Brazilian jiu-jitsu martial artists, uh, part of the Gracie family that started with Hoist Gracie in 1993 when, when jiu-jitsu really changed the world. He said something really important during an interview and he was asked what is the difference between a combat sport in a ring and you utilizing the martial arts skill that you have in a street life situation and exactly what you said john in a ring if he applies a submission the referee will stop it and it keeps the fighter safe so if he's in a, a, in a dominant position and he submits someone and he wins, the ref will stop it. The difference in the street is that he will stop it when it's necessary. So that's the difference. And Juan stopped when it was necessary, when he felt the threat was over. And that's what Alvin Bragg and others that suffer from the Dunning-Kruger effect do not understand. The cop has to feel safe to stop applying force. And it's very subjective for you to tell the cop whether he felt safe or not. Because I've said this in prior podcasts. He's not dealing with one person. He's dealing with one incident. He has an adversary to take down. He's in a metropolis of New York City with people that are around him. He has to watch all these aspects. So just him dealing with his adversary does not mean he's safe. Thousand percent, and I, uh, you know, I've been in a lot of fights in my life. I've been in a lot of, whether it be training or in real life, and I can tell you right now, I've never been in one where I wasn't afraid. 
I've never been in one fight where I wasn't scared, where my adrenaline wasn't flowing, where my cortisol level wasn't flowing, where I was able to process everything that was going on around me. Like I, I would be able to in a normal situation when all of those things weren't happening inside my body and with the chemical makeup of my brain. So I think Juan did a fantastic job. I watched that video and not only did he was able to catch himself where he saw, oh my God, the guy, the guys, the guy just, the guys went limp, right? He went limp. I just throw a punch and he went limp. He immediately stood up, went on the radio and called for an ambulance. Um, so, I mean, if, if the city of New York doesn't think that that's what police officers do, I mean, again, it's, this is, it's a contact sport. Policing is a contact sport. It does not look pretty on camera. It will never look pretty on camera. And it backs up to that fight with, with a while back with the, in the one-to-one precinct where the cop got suspended after he was got, he got racked in the face three times. And then he threw three punches back and it didn't look good. When's it going to look good? When, when does a fight look good? I've never seen a fight that looks good. It, it never looks good. The only time it looks good is when it's staged in a movie and it's choreographed. That's the only time it, it looks good. It, it kind of correlates to what you were saying, John. You and I had spoke about this, right? And Edward Raymond has a book right now, The Inconvenient, Inconvenient Cop. And what he said, I, I haven't had an opportunity to read it yet, and, and I definitely plan on it. But you said, John, that what you read is he said the only thing that politicians actually know about police work is what they see in movies. And that's not actually how police work plays out. So for those who have ever taken part in the Citizens Academy, Citizens Police Academy. I think more people should do that to get a better understanding, at least an idea of what it's like to be a police officer, because it's it's not what you think. It's, it's much more complexities of doing police work than what you see on TV. So to go further into that, absolutely. Juan Perez, we support you. I think you did your job. I think you were, unfortunately, I say it all the time, when you're doing police work, it's like playing blackjack. You're at the casino and the house always wins. And you got the unlucky draw of getting this call. But I'd like to say also on behalf of the unions, the unions are supposed to represent their menu members. And I think what needs to change, I think that if a cop is in a pickle, and of course it's going to happen more often and you're being charged with a crime, I think you should be able to either utilize the, the union attorneys or pick the attorney of your choice and the union should still flip the bill. Or, or partial or something, right? And, you know, I never paid attention to the union the entire time of my career. And I think that was a huge mistake. If I had to go back, I would be requesting the bylaws for every union that I'm a part of. I would fully understand what resources were available to me and I would take full advantage of them. I did not in 18 years. I didn't take advantage of one thing. I don't even know why I paid the money into it. Um, and so I really suggest you guys do that. I think the biggest hypocrisy of the whole thing is we're seeing cops on duty responding to 911 calls, affecting arrests, Juan Perez, Eric Dim, and there's others. There's hundreds of others that aren't being indemnified. But we see a sexual assault allegation against New York City mayor. Now, I don't care that it was 30 years ago. I don't know. I don't know any of the facts. Neither do any of you unless you know this woman personally. And even then, you probably still don't know all the facts because you need to know Eric's side of the whole story. Right. So there's two sides to a story. But I know that he supported this law. He supported it. He jumped up and down. He said it was a, a monumentous time in history in New York that victims could come forward. So this woman's coming forward now. So we're going to give her the benefit of the doubt. And we're also going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But New York City, now she was a co-worker of his. She was a co-worker of his. He was a police officer at the time. He worked for the transit police. And she makes a sexual assault allegation against him. That is one of those extreme times that Eric's talking about that I believe that does not count. You're not affecting the course of your duties. This is a co-worker. Whether you threw a pass at her, whatever it was. Totally different than if you went to a 911 call, you wrestled with an EDP, you assisted someone at an EMS call, you, you are, I don't know, whatever. For some reason, you interacted with this person during the course of your duties and they felt it was a sexual assault, then yes, you would be indemnified. But this is not that type of allegation. The allegation is he sexually assaulted me. 
New York City has never indemnified one person for that allegation, but they're going to do it for New York City Mayor Eric Adams. Eric, what do you think about that? Well, this is uh, just a complete abuse of power. I mean, personally, I agree with statute of limitations. I know that Adams himself, I find it ironic, was extremely supportive of the Adult Survivors Act. It just happens to be that the statute of limitations for the Adult Survivors Act expired. I think it was November 25th. So this claim was was uh, just uh, the timing was impeccable. And I think that statute of limitations is so important. I want to go on this briefly before I talk about uh, why I think the identification is abuse of power. But I think that statute of limitations is so important because it correlates to due process. And I talk about this all the time, that police officers or anyone acting in the scope of their employment or anyone in this country deserves fair and due process because this is a very serious allegation. And when it comes to sexual assault or sexual uh, undertones of allegations, even if you are found not guilty, it's always a stigma that's going to be attached to you. So I think it's unfair. I know that this case was 30 years ago. I do think I understand the Adult Survivors Act. There is a place for it. Maybe when someone was young and maybe there was some type of pedophilia involved and they came forward when they were older. But we're talking about an adult woman that's making an allegation so many years later. So I don't think that he can get fair and due process, even though. Uh, I'm completely against most of the stuff that Eric Adams does. I don't think he's doing a great job as a mayor, but I still believe in due process and fairness. So I don't believe that this is fair. If this woman was sexually assaulted, I, 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 I do feel sorry for her, but it was 30 years ago and everyone does deserve fair process. However, he was not acting in the scope of his employment. I mean, that is that is one part where I say the beauty of body cameras are for major things. I've said it's not for minor things. But if two police officers are transporting a female prisoner and she makes an allegation of rape, clearly the body camera can indemnify them and protect them. But he was not acting in the scope of his employment. So if any police officer, especially Juan Perez, let's compare the comparisons. Juan Perez was called to a 911 call doing his job. Mayor Eric Adams is getting accused of sexual allegation and not in performance of his duty. And unfortunately, it should be on his own behalf. And that is an abuse of power. 100%. I agree with everything you said. I'm not jumping up and down that he got a sexual assault allegation 30 years later. I think that he's a complete moron. And I'm glad it came back to bite him in the ass. I really am. I'm not going to lie about it because he was jumping up and down because it was a bill that got passed to go after Donald Trump. He was jumping up and down about it, never thinking, oh, it could happen to me. I'm sitting here thinking the same thing. This could happen to me. How do you get a fair and proper investigation 30 years later? 30 years later. I'm not saying that it did happen. I'm not saying it didn't happen. All I'm saying is, regardless of anything, he should be footing the bill for his attorney. He should be footing the bill if if there's a settlement or whatever, whatever that case looks like. By New York City Corporation Council representing him, New York City taxpayers are footing whatever happens in the course of New York City Mayor Eric Adams' investigation against the sexual assault allegation, which clearly was not in the performance of his duty. You, you, you can't get a sexual assault allegation from your partner and think you're going to be indemnified. It's not happening. It's never happened. Ask anyone that's ever been charged with a sexual assault allegation. How many times has it happened in the New York City Police Department when they're indemnified for something outside of work, something outside of the course of your duties? Zero. This will be the first time. This will open precedent. So for all you guys that weren't represented properly, Corporation Council denied you indemnification, denied you legal representation. I think that this 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 will set precedent and open up the floodgates for you, for Juan Perez, for everybody else. I actually find an extreme amount of irony in this case particularly. And it really draws on the fact that people have been fed this lie that people are treated differently because of their race. But this case shows that it's about socioeconomic status and power and your prestige and your position in life. It correlates to the bail reform. The bail reform, the action of bail reform was taken because people of a better socioeconomic status had a better, in, in some cases, a better outcome or a better due process and fairness in court 
than someone who has a less socioeconomic st status and not comparable to race. Because Eric Adams, who is a male black, this action was taken against him. And because he's in a position of power, and he would say, wow, I'm, I'm being treated fairly because I'm black. But because he's in a position of power and because of wealth and because of his network, he is being indemnified. So it really draws away from this whole race baiting issue that we see. Again, I think it goes back to power, and this is an abuse of power. Right now, the unions should be stomping their feet and screaming and saying, our, our union members should be represented. Look what's going on with Eric Adams, and then a lawsuit should be filed against him immediately. Thank you. You just read my mind because I was just—I almost cut you off, and I was just about to say the same exact thing. And where are the unions? Their members did not get indemnified, and the city's going to indemnify them. They should be stomping their feet, right? But instead, what are you going to hear? Now's not the time. Now's not the. When's the time, guys? When? When everybody's retired? When no one gets indemnified? When qualified immunity really is gone? When corporation counsel just completely stops? When's the time? The time is now. This hypocrisy is happening. You guys should be all over this. You should be jumping up and down the same way that me, Eric, and Sal Greco have been jumping up and down. We haven't been jumping up and down celebrating. No, we're saying this is wrong. This is not right. This is You do not get indemnified. This is not legal. It's not in the law. There's no way that he should be getting indemnified and police officers doing their duty on it. This is a complete, complete, utter travesty. Other end of it, Eric little bit off topic. What do you think? How much a month do you think Eric Eric Adams makes a month? He was a retired police captain who did, I believe, 22 years or 23 years. He is a retired state senator. He is a retired borough president. He owns several buildings in Brooklyn. He he is now a mayor of New York City. What's his salary got to be? His salary has got to be at least $250,000 a year on top of that. What do you think Eric Adams is pulling in a month? You had to guess to me. I would say probably about 30,000. 30,000 taxpayer money he's clearing, 30 G's. I would Absolutely. say I would say between 30, I would say between 30 and 50. I would say between 30 and 50,000 dollars a month. He could afford his own legal representation. I don't feel too bad for our guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. But I, who I do feel sorry for is Juan Perez. And Juan, Juan Perez is reflective of every cop that's out there right now. And unfortunately, cops suffer from, well, it, you know, it won't happen to me until you wake up and it happens to you and you are that guy. I feel sorry for Juan Perez because the, the legal battle that he's fighting is becoming costly. He has to spend money on attorneys. He has to spend money on police expert witnesses when it comes to use of force. You and I are constantly on the phone with him. We're, we're trying to raise money to help him. But why are we doing this? We're doing this because we want to. We're not getting paid for this. We're doing this at the goodness of our hearts because we want to help. And the unions instead, you know, have, have, have felt challenged by this podcast. We spoke to one and then and things that they have said, you know, they said to reach out to your podcast buddies for help and they don't want to help him anymore. Why? Because you feel challenged. Listen, I don't have any personal issues with the union. Do I like these guys personally? No, because I don't think that you're good guys. I don't think you legitimately want to help the cops. I just think you want to fill your pockets. What I want is the union to do better. And that's why I put out on social media the amount of money that the union makes a year from union dues, which is about $26 million. Cops are paying $51.84 biweekly. That's 26 paychecks a year. So you have to ask yourself, where are these union dues going? What are these union dues doing? That's how you support your members. If Juan Perez decides to get the attorney of his choice, you should pay for that. You should absolutely pay for that, and that's how you take a stand. And that's why I say if the cops were not paying their union dues, I do believe there would be immediate change. I mean, listen, it is what it is. I'm footing the expense of my own legal bills. So are you, right? Like the unions are yes. nowhere to be found. The unions are nowhere to be found for work-related issues when you're suing about work-related things. Oh, put this in your body or you're getting fired. Oh, you went to a 911 call, you're getting fired. Oh, you're doing this? They're nowhere to be found in any of this. And that's why, that's my biggest problem with them. I personally, as individuals, I have no personal qualms with any of them. 
I'll sit there in their face. I'll tell them they're terrible at their job because they are, and they're not doing their job. They're not doing it effectively. And that's in every rank all the way down. I'm not, I don't, I'm not, and you know what? It's not even just in the law enforcement profession either. It could be sanitation. It could be the fire department. It could be whoever it is. I think the unions in New York city are an arm of the democratic party and they take all of your union dues and they give it to far left democratic candidates. And it's ridiculous. Your union dues have became a piggy bank and they're, they're, they're profiting off it. The guys that are supposedly representing you that think they're in the mob, that think they signed the Omerta and they burnt saints in their hand. And they said, you know, if I go against this family, you know, those guys with the pinky rings, they're at, they, they, they're not, they're all in it for themselves. It has nothing to do with representing their members. It's just a grift like everything else in New York city. So that's my main problem with the unions. Um, and I, like you said, it's, it's a travesty. It's a complete travesty. And, Juan Perez is not going to get represented. It's not properly represented. I on on a different note, I don't think that if you go and get your own attorney, that the union should have to foot the entire bill. But I do think that there should be some type of stipend if you want to get out. This is what we spend to to legally represent. We'll give it to you to go out on your own instead. Something like that. I think that's a good point. Right? It could be almost like a voucher. Right? Okay, if you seek our attorneys because they're they they have paid a flat rate and they work for the union, there will be no fees on your behalf. If you choose to get an attorney on your own behalf, someone of your choice, then we'll give you a voucher and pay whatever fifty to seventy five percent of it. I, I I agree with that. I think that's a great point. You know, we we're not trying to bleed the union. We understand that the union has to have a substantial amount of funds bank. But there has to be a support system. John and I could not speak out while we're on the job because of retribution. The, the purpose of the union well, is I you did, are was, the voice. When I did, I was the first one of the first people to be denied. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so <laughs> that's supposed to be the voice of the rank and file and take action on behalf because that is your job. That's your purpose. The police officers, the sergeants, lieutenants, detectives, they're doing their job, right? They act in silence while you speak on their behalf and not just speak, but actually take action. And how do we show real action? My father used to say this, may he rest in peace when I was young. It doesn't mean anything if your boss pats you on the back. I can pat you on the back. Your friends will pat you on the back. They have to put money in your pocket. So that's what we need for the union. You have to put up money. Just as you do for Democratic Party, you think that they're your friends and they're going to help you, you have to put up money for the cops. That's great. And the same thing with, with your boss on the job. Like there were some guys that were ruthless that I worked for, but I felt like they kept me safe. They kept me safe from myself. They kept me safe from the job. They taught me things. Were they nice guys? They definitely weren't nice guys. But I learned a lot from them and they kept me safe. They were good guys. They were people I respect till today. And they were ruthless, you know. And um, but that's I learned from them. So what your father said, I agree with a thousand percent, you know. I agree with that a, a, a thousand percent. That's the way, you know. You I don't I don't need I don't need any friends. I don't need a pat on the back. I don't need that. I need you to do your job, what it was. You know, one of the things that I was told when I was up in arms about the mandate was. Oh, Lou's not uh, talking about Lou Turco. Lou, if you're listening, um, it was one of the trustees. I forget who it was. He said, uh, Lou's not Ed Mullins. And I was like, I don't want Lou to be Ed Mullins. I just want him to be the LBA president. You know, I, I was like, I, I personally, I think Ed Mullins is a loud mouth. And, and look what, well, how that turned out. You know, I said, uh, I just want him to be the LBA president. I just want him to represent me. You know, I just want representation. I just want to be told where this is going, what's happening. I don't know. What are you going to do? That's not those aren't answers that I should be getting from a union that's as strong as our unions are. I mean, as many members as we are. I mean, and so we, we perform such a vital, a vital function for New York City. I mean, we basically do everything. I mean, give us garbage trucks. We'll be picking up the garbage soon, too. You know, it's, it's ridiculous this point. The culture of the union has to change now, and it has to change immediately. The culture, as we know it, John, we put memes out there because it really is reflective of the culture. The culture is they put your arm around you, and they say, hey, kid, just take it. Just take it. Ah, it's a suspension. Don't worry about it. You'll bounce back. You know what? They'll give you overtime to pay, to, to, you know, to, to 
pick up that money back up. Ah, you go sick. Don't worry, kid. It's all right. Yeah, it's okay because it's not you. You're a union member. You're not strapped with that gun belt. And you're not facing the same adversary, adversity that the cop is out there right now doing. We have to stop with this culture. And I'm telling the cops that are out there right now, the next time you go to a CCRB interrogation or something where you're being interviewed and the union delegate is there and he puts his arm around you, get that arm off you and you tell him straight up. I know what that means, okay? I know exactly what that means. What are you going to do to fight for me? Start asking questions. We don't ask enough questions. And John, I agree with you. I didn't see the whole political theater behind our job till it was too late for me. I was involved in the actual police work and the camaraderie with the guys. But John, you're 100% right. Get those bylaws. Read them. Read them again. If you want, we'll read them for you and talk about it. But get them immediately. Absolutely. Best we could do is a cannoli, kid. You getting fired? Here's a cannoli. Um, I want to. I do want to talk about what 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 you brought up earlier, though. Uh, before we go, I want to talk about um, qualified immunity. And what was it? What you what you asked? There was a question that that you brought up. Oh, I'm sorry. Does, As it relates oh, to public immunity, safety. with the lawsuits. No, with the lawsuits. How New York City. Okay, how yeah, yeah. Money New York City pays out. Eric, why do you think New York City pays out so much money in lawsuits against the NYPD? Well, it's it's very simple because just to just a, to go to court and not even to file any paperwork, it's fifteen thousand dollars just right there. So if they could settle a case and not have to go through a trial, it saves them money. That's why they do it. But what happens is it gives the appearance that there's misconduct on behalf of the cop because the police department never speaks out and says, hey, we paid this amount because it's it's in our best interest to make a settlement and we'll pay less. But instead, they let the bear of responsibility and accountability on the cop himself or herself. So, yeah. So when they were talking, there were talks about ending qualified immunity. I went on the New York City Law Department's website and you could go on it yourself and you could look at it. And you could get data for like a 10 year period. I don't know how far it goes back. I think I looked over a 10 year period and you could actually look at the dispositions. And basically every payout for New York City for the police department, the disposition is settlement, meaning it didn't go to court. There wasn't an award. An award means we fought it. We we went to court. You know the 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 great the great myth in New York City is oh if we fight it it's more expensive for us to fight it. But New York City has lawyers on payroll, and we're looking at this mandate right. This mandate's a great example of it. This is the one thing they're actually fighting. So they could actually use their attorneys <laughs> and fight these frivolous lawsuits against on duty assaults on on police officers. But when it comes to the mandate. They have so many lawsuits now that they're hiring these high-end law firms to fight the law. And they're losing all. They're losing all of these cases. They're hiring all of these high-end law firms to fight cases against the mandate. And it's co actually costing them more money than if they would just reinstate everybody and give them back pay. It's absolute insanity. New York City just bleeds money. They're giving money away to people who sue the New York City Police Department. And it's causing more and more people to sue the New York City Police Department. So every time I hear those numbers and people are like, oh, we paid $800 million out this year. I'm like, oh, that's it? I'm, I'm surprised you didn't pay $800 billion because New York City doesn't fight any of them. They don't fight anything. So, you know, it, it's, it, I, I, hate, I, I, I hate it, but it's, it's just a, the sheer show of incompetence. And it's not just Eric Adams. It's every mayor before him. They don't fight these cases, and it's a huge, huge, it's a huge failure. Well, I think what's another epic fail, which I find extremely problematic, and now with the 50A, it's much worse than before. So you're a cop. I was I was an active, active cop, active crime sergeant, special ops lieutenant. So obviously, I was, I had civil, I faced civil liability many times in my career. And John, I'm sure you did as well. And what I found was 
I would get served with a summons and complaint. I would respond to it. And I would never hear anything sometimes. You know, a year or two late, two years later, you're active in your job and you forget about it. And now because of the 50A, you find out, oh, wow, this guy that made an allegation against me, who's a two-time shooter, who threw two punches at my face and I had to respond, was a was agreed upon settlement of twenty five or thirty thousand or a million dollars or whatever the amount is, and you're like, I didn't even know about this. They don't keep you informed. They keep you in the dark. There's there's the police officers themselves that are involved in some litigation are not kept are not kept up to speed on what's going on in their case, and then they now with the fifty eight you find out there's some type of settlement, and the appearance is that there was misconduct on your behalf. And this anti-police rhetoric crowd is putting that out there, given the uh, perception that you actually had misconduct yourself when it's just a settlement. And I, I'm so glad that you pointed out that it wasn't an award. It was a settlement. Yeah, look at the dispositions. I, I think it's 99% of them, if I remember when I did it. When I did, I did a breakdown of 10 years. It was 99%. And the reason I did it was because I figured that we were going to need an insurance policy. We were going to need to get our own private insurance policies. However, when I reached out to a few insurance companies, they were like, absolutely not. New York City is, they just pay out. We're not, we're not, we're not getting involved in this. We're not going to give, you know, so, sort of like what a doctor has, like medical malpractice, you know, where you'd have to go out. The cost of being a police officer is now I have to have this policy on my own to pay for it. Maybe it's something the unions could look into too they could work and if they have more members i would have had to go recruit everyone maybe they would work with them a little bit more if you had whatever you guys got nineteen thousand, couple thousand but it's uh it's it, it's it's mind-blowing that anyone could sue just get money when new york city actually does do something wrong though they don't want to pay they don't want to pay out they don't want to say we were wrong then they then they go to court um so that's the whole thing with that litigation it's it's completely fr frivolous and New York City does not fight any of them. So when you're saying that New York City Police Department cost me this, Eric Dim cost me this, no, they didn't. Blame the New York City Law Department. You know, again, we spoke on it earlier and uh, I, I, I know you said you agree, but I, I like to really speak on this. I, I think it's completely unfair. It's There's just so much complexities to being law enforcement, especially in New York City metropolis. And when you're Juan Perez and you respond to a 911 call, we had said this on a prior podcast, and I think we should say it again. We intentionally break numerous NYPD protocol to effectively do our job in the performance of our duties. And it's, it's actually this is the only part on behalf of the union that I'm supportive of that they do, or at least they did for a short time under Pat Lynch is when there is something dynamical, especially during the time of de Blasio, when Lou and Ramos were executed, that the cops were informed to start actually following the patrol guide, which slows the performance down the police work. But unfortunately, cops have short-term memories and it affects public safety. If cops actually follow the patrol guide, please understand the cops that are listed this understand this. But for the families out there, if the cops actually follow police protocol and the patrol guide, public safety would take a major effect and hit. So we have to be more lenient and leave room for administrative failures and mistakes and errors when conducting police work, part of indemnification. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I read uh, I read something recently that response times are up like 19% for this year. Um, and it's, you know, they, they relate it to the lack of manpower, right? But if we did follow the patrol guide to a T, you had the sergeant follow the patrol guide, a sector follow the patrol guide. I mean, after the first four hours, you would get out of the station house and then you'd have four hours to go out and answer a job. And after your first job, you'd be shut down. Um, and every sector would be down. So response times would be up probably 
in in the thousands of percents. And you know, when you call nine one one, that three minute response time that people in New York City are used to having, it's going to be way less than that. Um, you know, it's going to be way more than that. Excuse me, not you know, it's not going to be three minutes. It's going to be more like three hours or possibly even three days, um, because that's how ridiculous the book is. You know, uh, people acting within accordance of their duties. Um, they're not intentionally violating parts of the patrol guide because they're bad cops. It's actually done the exact opposite. It's because they are good cops. It's because they do believe in public safety. It's because they do want to perform a service. It's because they do want to get out there again and get to that next job. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of the stuff that, that you hear about administrative failures, it's common. I mean, it's common. Any job, any 911 call, any arrest, you could go through any one thing and, you could come up with thousands of administrative failures and hundreds of them because the book is again, set up to find you guilty. Uh, John, I think that was, a, that was a great point to analyze and for the cops that are out there. You understand that, but families and, and those that are non-law enforcement, I think that was a great perspective that you just said that cops actually intentionally violate administrative procedures for the good of public safety in New York city, because they know, if they actually follow the patrol guide, they'll never actually respond officially to call after call. One thing in particular, just a small aspect of it. According to the NYPD patrol guide, if you're a police officer and you're actually in an arrest situation, that arrest is supposed to be verified on scene. That means you're supposed to request a supervisor. The supervisor is supposed to respond to the scene and verify the arrest. And what does that mean? actually conduct a preliminary investigation in simplistic form just to make sure that probable cause was met, all witnesses are, are allocated, and the scene is controlled, and that this arrest is good to go. But what do cops do? You make the arrest, and you respond to the precinct, and you call your sergeant, and you tell the situation real quick, and he verifies it on the phone. We all do it. We all did it. We continue to do it because it's the good of public safety to keep that wheel moving. Should a cop not be indemnified because they missed that administrative error? Absolutely not. Yeah, it, I mean, like I said, the standard should be possible and the standard is impossible. You know, like it, 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 it really is at the, at the point if you took that book and you took procedures and you took jobs, I mean, there are there are a lot of procedures in that guide that are absolutely impossible. Follow EDP procedure. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's it's never gets done like that. It never ever gets done like that. Very rare circumstances uh, to follow emotionally disturbed person procedure. More often than none, we de-escalate the situation millions of times a year, and we do it very successfully without with throwing that patrol guy procedure in the garbage. Because if we did, you'd shut down commands for the day. You know, you would shut down commands just on that EDP procedure alone, a hundred, a hundred percent. Like every command would be off the air. Every command would be at the first EDP they got to. That that procedure is ridiculous. It's. I'm not saying that there's not times where it's good and the protocol is good, but like. The majority of time, 99% of the time, we're not following that procedure. It's just not. Oh, absolutely not. And I think the correlation should be that understand that cops are not breaking law to do the job effectively to support public safety. Cops are breaking rules. Arnold Schwarzenegger, who I'm extremely supportive of and I think is an extremely amazing uh, motivational person who's dedicated to his life to building his body and, and building his mind and and he really worked hard all day. And he says in, in many motivational speeches that to be effective in your career or anything in life, that you have to break rules. And that's what cops are doing. They're breaking rules to continue their performance effectively. And when they break rules now, they're not being indemnified. And that's just impossible. It, it's impossible to do that job according to that book. Could you imagine, John, let's go back to when you and I were rookies. Could you imagine you got your patrol car and you actually pulled up the hood and started checking the checking the oil and you checked the gas and you and and, and, and the person oh, you parted that day went through the car? It would take you an hour before you would actually left the precinct. Meanwhile, you're getting 40 calls already and you haven't even left and you haven't even gotten a cup of coffee. Yeah. Impossible. No, absolutely. Uh 
Last thing I want to <laughs> say about the indemnification, though. If they're going back, if the city law department's going back on your CCRB history, that means that there are people walking in uniform, working for New York City today, responding to 911 calls as we speak, that the city law department will not indemnify without knowing the incident. No incident. We will not indemnify this person. Shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. Well, that's the case. You know what? Ken, I'm sorry. But if that's the case, those are the people that should be in the inside positions. Give them the inside job. If that's the case, that those people should not be on the street. They're they're a liability, and they should be well aware. Or if they are on the street, they should be made well aware of this this fact that hey, listen, you're no good. We're you're no good. You're you're a liability for the city. We are no longer going to. We don't we don't consider you somebody that we would indemnify. And then if someone seeks to to continue in this career, that's what it is. So right now, if you're a union member listening to this. You should probably want to know how many of your members aren't going to be indemnified, regardless of the situation. Because if you're going back on past history, oh, Eric Dim's got too, too many CCRBs. We're not going to, and you're not going to take the incident. What, you know, and then if it is the incident and you say, all right, we're not going to indemnify because of XYZ, he threw the five punches were good, but he threw the six. The six, we didn't like the six, didn't look good. That should, that should also be notified the individual the officer should be notified of those facts so that he's able to legally represent himself later and honestly you're hurting his case so if litigation need be against the city law department as well there should be a better standard of when guys are getting notified that they're not going to be indemnified or when they are and what that standard is and it should be known to everybody in the new york city police department absolutely that's why i i you know I talk about the discipline matrix all the time and it's almost as if you have aggravating factors against you that will inhibit you from being indemnified right well you have you have a history of ccrbs you have you have a history of lawsuits so now the next incident you're involved in you will automatically just on those aggravating factors not be indemnified and it's just complete weaponization by the ccrb and the job is highly aware of this, and they're not protecting their cops. And they know that when the cops are out there, you're walking, you're walking through landmine fields because at any time you can stand on that landmine and you'll be Juan Perez. And if you think it can't happen to you, you are feeble and more foolish than I thought you could be. You need to wake up and understand you could be Juan Perez today. When you're out there working right now, you could be him in the next second. Ask yourself, wow. If I get requested to a 911 call, it it's an illusion. You don't know what door you're going to. If you get into a situation where someone wraps their arm around you and attacks you, is five punches enough? Is your six punch going to put you in the same position that Juan Perez is? Think about it. Absolutely. Eric, we're going on almost an hour. You got anything you want to add before we go over to Lady Law Blue? No, I just, well, you know what? I'll add one more thing. I just want to say that it's time that cops take a change when it comes to knowledge. Knowledge is power, okay? Confidence brings confidence. You have to read that patrol guide, even if you're not getting promoted. You have to understand what indemnification is. You have to understand qualified immunity. You have to get the bylaws from the unions, and you have to start calling your unions and asking questions. You need to be proactive and take a preemptive strike in every situation. Now, again, we do not want you to be Juan Perez. Juan Perez needs your support. Again, I want to thank also John and I both have put it out on social media. I want to thank Fund the First for helping Juan Perez. But it just show you, it just shows you that cops are getting hit on all different angles in different layers. It, it, it's an impossible job right now. Please support Juan Perez. If you support Juan Perez, you support yourself and you support others. Thank you. Absolutely. Guys, uh, like I said last time, uh, our friends at Laid Law Blue, if you're about to retire, if you're already retired and you're unhappy with your people, give uh, Henry and John at Laid Law Blue a call. You know, secure your financial future. Next episode before we go to them, 
We're going to be doing it on uh, micromanagement. We're going to work. We're going to talk a little bit about that 114 incident. So uh, stay tuned for that. Guys, always thanks for tuning in. And like I said, secure your financial future. Give John and Henry a call. Law enforcement professionals dedicate their lives to serving and protecting our community. But who's protecting their financial futures? That's where Laidlaw Blue comes in. Our wealth management platform is specifically designed for the law enforcement community. Laidlaw Blue is a division within Laidlaw Wealth Management run by retired New York City detective John McDermott. His status as a retired detective uniquely positions him to establish a deep connection between Laidlaw Blue and the law enforcement community. Our platform is easy to use and provides a range of financial services, including investment management, retirement planning, and insurance solutions. With Laidlaw Blue, you can secure your financial future and provide for your loved ones. Our team of experienced financial advisors understands the unique challenges and opportunities that law enforcement professionals face. We're here to help you navigate the complexities of financial planning and achieve your goals. Laidlaw Blue, secure your financial future today. Book a meeting using the QR code displayed or call us directly on 888-901-BLUE. That's 888-901-BLUE.